Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Get at me on Twitter at NateWST and get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And, of course, checking out the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Be sure to leave us a review when you can on iTunes. Fun show in store for you. Chris Schlosser, vice president of MLS Digital, is going to be with us. And then Aiden Williams, who is the author of a new book entitled Worst in the World, International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA rankings. Cannot wait to talk with Aiden Williams about that new book and all that went into it. But I got to start the show with an article from Simon Hughes uh, of the the Independent. And I linked this up on, on my Twitter just so you guys believe that this was a real piece based on real things. I got to start by talking about Steven Gerrard, who, according to this story from Simon Hughes of the Independent, again, check out the link, Steven Gerrard is set for an amazing return to Liverpool after holding talks with Jurgen Klopp. Klopp has spoken to the former captain several times on the telephone since arriving at Anfield last month. Mr. Hughes wrote, The manager is now convinced that Gerrard's presence will help define the standards of professionalism that he expects around Melwood, Liverpool's famous training ground. Although Klopp has so far only debated the possibility of Gerrard training with Liverpool until the 15th of January when he is due back in the U.S. to rejoin the L.A. Galaxy for preseason, there is a chance of a formal playing agreement being brokered. However, that possibility is made complicated by the Galaxy's probable demands for a transfer fee as Gerrard has another year left on his contract with the MLS club. Galaxy are currently not willing to sanction a loan deal similar to the one afforded to David Beckham, who went to Milan twice in his five years at the club. Whilst Gerard sees the American experience as beneficial and he enjoys the lifestyle, he has missed Liverpool acutely, as well as the cut and thrust of the Premier League, a level at which he believes he can still have an impact. Gerard is expected to attend Liverpool's home match with Crystal Palace on Sunday and should meet Klopp in person for the first time early next week when the pair will try and plot the way forward. I'll just throw it to you right now as we head to our first breaker on World Soccer Talk Radio. If you're a Liverpool fan and you watched a few games that Steven Gerrard played with the LA Galaxy, do you think he has anything left to offer as a player at Liverpool? Or is this just a ploy into the coaching ranks? We shall see. Cannot wait to see how this one progresses. Chris Schlosser with us on the other side of the break. Stay tuned.
listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Where are you from, mate? Just around. World Soccer Talk Radio, right here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Get involved on Twitter at World Soccer Talk and follow at NateWST to get a hold of me. Pleasure to welcome in our first guest here in this episode of World Soccer Talk Radio. He's the Vice President of MLS Digital, Mr. Chris Schlosser. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. How you doing? My pleasure, Nate. Great to be here. So uh, you enjoying these MLS Cup playoffs a little bit? Oh, it has been awesome, hasn't it? Goals nonstop, great storylines, controversy. It's everything you want and more. I look forward to seeing how the uh, Drogba, Higuain, uh, scorned lover breakup makeup uh, goes in the uh, the second leg of uh, Montreal and Columbus. That's my my favorite storyline. Now, I want to talk with you about what's going on with, uh, with with MLS Digital. Talk to us about what MLS is is actively doing, uh, trying to engage and and captivate the digitally savvy soccer fans uh, here in the U.S. We're doing a ton. Um... You know, we really love this time of year because it lets us really focus on the games, really focus on the matchups, and, and try to do some cool things in and around each of the uh, the various series. Um, to start off, we uh, a couple weeks ago we launched an all-new MLSsoccer.com. So I imagine most fans have had a chance to check it out already, but um, we put a ton of work into a whole new system, much better, much more stable, much faster, works really well on any platform, uh, including your mobile device. And that's really the, the foundation, right? You've got to have great tools. But then for us, what really is fun is let's, let's create some content to make this come alive. So every uh, match night, we are doing a live pregame show from our studios here in New York. Um, you'll see a rotating cast of, of characters. Look for Hercules Gomez, uh, Nate Grabavoy. Uh, We've got Russ Thaler, Thomas Rongen, all of our MLS uh, soccer.com editors and writers. Uh, so it's going to be a fun uh, fun way to get set for each match night. And then during the games, we'll have uh, live commentary from all across the country. I'll have people in market this weekend on the ground in every stadium, um, you know, covering all the angles from uh, you know official reports to great periscopes, vines, Twitter, etc., um, so that we can really bring these playoffs alive for our fans. Now, Chris, when, when you talk about the, the social media aspects of all this and we talk about the, the digital age and, and the, the millennial generation, where do you have to draw the line in terms of developing a solid routine for MLS Digital and trying to be innovative and, and advanced? Where's the, where's the line there for you? We, you know, we, um, I said this on stage a couple weeks ago in a conference in Brooklyn, but, but we really think that we need to push the envelope. Um, we need to, you know, try things and see what works, see what doesn't work. We always want to be using the latest technology. Example of that is we've been doing uh, live streams on Twitch, trying out, uh, you know, what, what FIFA on Twitch looks like and feels like to see if that's something that, that maybe, you know, allows us to, to bring the fans closer into the game. Uh, and we'll see if it works. We, you know, we go into the stuff. We don't always know if it'll work or if it doesn't work, but we're going to try it. And that's one of the fun things about, you know, the digital space today is, feels like every couple of days there's something new to try and you know you, you give it a dabble and some stuff falls away right like we you won't really see us doing a whole lot on google plus anymore if you remember that platform because it just you know <laughs> no one's using it 
so it doesn't make sense for us to, to spend time. But it, if a lot of our fans are on a platform, we want to be there, and we want to use it in a really cool, authentic way uh, to provide access, to provide you know behind the scenes, to, to allow fans to see perhaps things that they don't normally get to see in the course of you know being a fan. Well, Chris, that transitions perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next, and that is in, in comparison to, to other sports here in the United States, how, how digitally savvy are our soccer fans here in America? Soccer fans are the, you know, the most digitally savvy fans of any sport in the country, in North America. Um, we see it in all the metrics. Our fans are more likely to stream games. They're more likely to use their mobile phone. They're more likely to buy music online. They're more likely to order... Um, stuff via e-commerce. They're, they're more likely to buy tickets online. You, you name it, um, soccer fans in North America over-index in their usage of digital technology. And that makes sense. If you think about it, um, you know, radio really bit, built baseball back in the 20s. TV built the NBA and, and the NFL over the last couple decades. And throughout history, digital's really been the way soccer fans connected, right? There traditionally hasn't been, you know, a ton of coverage of soccer in your newspaper or on SportsCenter or whatever the, the platform may be. So soccer fans said, screw it. You know, we're going to take this into our own hands. We're going to create uh, networks like World Soccer Talk. We're going to create big soccer boards. We're going to create, we're going to go to Reddit and, you know, have it out over a various game. So we, we've had to migrate to the digital space. So it's really natural then for soccer fans to say, hey, you know, give me the greatest app, give me the greatest website, give me all the content I want, and I want it on a, on a digital platform. So I love it. Being digitally savvy, in, in your view, came out of necessity for, for soccer fans here in America. Yeah, I think it, it aligns. Well, you know, I think soccer fans are digital. And then if you look at the type of people who get drawn into this sport, I think they are trendsetters. They're early adopters. They are young millennial people who are saying, hey, you know, I want to be on the cutting edge of something really new and cool. And for a lot of people, that's soccer because it doesn't feel corporate. It feels organic. It feels like there's a movement happening all across the country. And that could be, you know, we certainly think that's for MLS, but you know, the same could probably be said if you're a Bayern fan watching them, you know, beat up on Arsenal this afternoon. <laughs> Spoiler alert. What's the future of uh, MLS Live, by the way? And how soon can we uh, expect to hear an announcement regarding Major League Soccer games being available again on, on ESPN3 uh, next season? So we love um, the streaming platform. I, you know, we, we hear constantly from our fans that they love MLS Live. Uh, we're working through some things right now and look for a, an announcement later this fall. Uh, I'd say in the next couple of weeks in terms of uh, what's going to happen for streaming for next year. But clearly streaming games is going to be a really big part of what we do. Uh, we're excited about the direction that we're going to go. But uh going to have to give me a couple of weeks just to uh, get everything ready, and then, uh, then we'll come out with an official announcement on what's going to happen. There, there's a few things to focus on here in the next couple of weeks, I'd say. Yeah, just one or two uh, <laughs> as we build towards uh, MLS Cup later in, in, in December. Well, it's the last thing I actually wanted to talk to you about here uh, in, the, in the couple minutes that we got left with you, Chris, and that is what, what you're most excited about as far as what you guys have in store uh, for, for soccer fans, specifically regarding the final of, of the MLS Cup playoffs. So MLS Cup is such a special time, right? It's, it's a time when the entire soccer community in the United States can come together and, and crown a champion, can focus on one particular game for a, for a week and a weekend. You know, it's so rare that that happens. 
so we we will always go all out for that. Uh, it's a little challenging because you never know where the uh, the game is going to be until a couple weeks ahead of time. But we will put in place um, comprehensive coverage. You, you can you know you've come to expect it from MLS Digital. We'll have probably upwards of 50 people on the ground to to provide coverage. You know live shows, social media coverage. Um, you know look for a couple new product tweaks to come out as we always have something up our sleeve. Um, and it's going to be really fun. You know, I think all of us are, are looking at the schedule, trying to figure out which city we're all hoping to be in. Um, it's interesting. You know, we know for the first time in a lot of years we're not going to be in L.A. or Kansas City. So uh, it's going to be a new experience for a lot of folks, and uh, I think that'll be really cool. Which city are you hoping to be in, Chris, and which city do you think you'll be in? That is the final two-part question here. I would love to see an MLS Cup in Seattle. I think that would just be a shining moment for uh, the sport. I used to live in Seattle. I love the town. I think it's a really cool place, and you know, I think it would be a really special and fun event. Um, that may, that might be where the heart is, but uh, I think it's really hard to, to bet against the Red Bulls right now. And a uh, Cup final here in New York sure wouldn't be a uh, bad way to spend a couple days. I think it uh, would be pretty cool to see Red Bull Arena absolutely packed and rocking. Um, so, you know, I think either way, uh, you can't lose. And I think that's true even more broadly. I think at this point in time, any time MLS Cup rolls into town, it's going to be a really special event. The home team fans are going to be, you know, certainly up for it. And I think we've shown that, uh, you know, you'll have hundreds or thousands of traveling fans wherever we end up uh, in a couple weeks. So no matter what, it's going to be special. But, uh, you know, Seattle or, or New York would, would certainly be a cut above. Chris, real quick, how can the uh, digitally savvy soccer fans that we speak of get a hold of you in the Twitter sphere? Two, two things, uh, on Twitter, at Chris Schlosser, or very easy, my email is Chris at MLSsoccer.com. Hit me either way. I always love to hear from fans. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Again, that was Chris Schlosser, the VP of MLS Digital. We're back with Aiden Williams, the author of Worst in the World, after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, that's yeah! <laughs> Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea, your host of this fine program. Subscribe to us on iTunes, tune in Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and other Big thank you to Chris Schlosser, a very, very busy man these days with the MLS Cup playoffs in full gear. Chris, the VP of MLS Digital, and it is now a pleasure to welcome in our second guest here in this episode of the show. He's the author of a new book entitled Worst in the World, International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA Rankings. Aiden Williams, how you doing, mate? I'm very good, thank you. So uh, talk about where this idea came from to create this book entitled Worst in the World. Well, initially, bizarrely, it, it came to me while I was uh, hovering over the island of Montserrat in the Caribbean in a helicopter because I was on my honeymoon, actually, and uh, visiting Montserrat, it triggered something in my memory that I'd seen a few years earlier, which was a, a movie called The Other Final, 
which was actually based on the two worst teams in the world at the time, one of them being Montserrat and the other Bhutan, who played a match simultaneously with the 2002 World Cup final to decide who was the worst, whilst the other teams were deciding who was the best. That reminded me, visiting Montserrat reminded me of that uh, when I came home. I, I, I got that movie, I watched it, and it, it kind of triggered things in my mind, and the idea developed from there. Uh, so it's kind of shining a light, if you like, on, on the sort of lower nations and those whose uh, hopes and dreams are a bit far removed from, from those we normally focus on. Well, talk about how the inspiration for you with, with this creative process, how it, how it really started going from there. Okay, well, I, I, it, that original idea led me to, to start having a bit more look at, at those who were at the bottom and, and Montserrat themselves had moved away and had a little bit of success at times. And I, I was looking at the teams that were the worst there, the likes of San Marino, who've been stuck at the bottom for a long, long time. And there's other small islands like uh, American Samoa, uh, Turks and Caicos, places like this. So all these often very small countries with limited resources, hardly any population, let alone uh, football players. No professionals, people who just play for the love of the game, the pride in their country uh, and the hope that perhaps they, they'll get a win somewhere along the line. Uh, I was looking into some of the stories of these of these teams a little bit, what we, we, we can find anyway. They're obviously not, not covered in such great depth as the likes of uh, the US and England and Germany and the likes are. Uh, but there are, there are stories about them out there to, to find. And as I look through it, you could see the sort of themes coming through the players who just desperately want to, to get some semblance of success at whatever level that is. Sometimes it's simply not losing. Other times it's maybe qualifying for the next round of a qualification. So far away from, from the bigger countries whose hopes obviously uh, are much more, more uh, significant than that. But it, it was kind of an, an appealing concept that it was so different from the regular uh, view of soccer and football that we have. Uh, that there is, there's another aspect to it down at the bottom of the scale, but it's still the same game. It's the same competitions. They're still all taking part. Should they have success of some kind, they may come up against some of the bigger nations at some point. And, and that's where you sort of see the huge difference in level. But their, their hopes and dreams are the same as those at the top, really, in that they want to just represent their country and do the best they can. I love what you said there, Aiden. It's it's the same game in in Montserrat as it is in Germany and and Argentina. It's absolutely fascinating when you when you put it. There's such a, an an elegance in in simplicity in that statement that football well, is absolutely. football. Absolutely, it's always it always comes down to eleven v eleven. Of course, no matter whether you're a country of uh, hundreds of millions uh, like your country, or you're a country of ten thousand or something like that. There's only eleven playing eleven, <laughs> uh, and yes, you have more to choose from and. You'd hope, therefore, that the cream is, is better at the top. But sometimes the, the smaller teams have their day, perhaps not on that such a grand scale, but the, the smaller teams do get their success of sort of time. Well, I, I want to talk with you about a, a recent episode of, of one of those minnows having a, a relative uh, uh, episode of success, and that was uh, San Marino getting a nil-nil draw with Estonia uh, in, the, in the Euro 2016 uh, uh, qualification, and I mean, a team that had absolutely no chance of, of qualifying for France. They get this nil-nil draw, and they celebrate 
like they'd won the World Cup, Aiden. I mean, what, what goes through your mind as someone who's written a book like this when you see the, the celebrations of, of those San Marino players recently? I know. I know. It was absolutely wonderful. I, mean, I, I, was, uh, I was channel hopping at the time through the various games that were on because uh, fortunately they, they show all of the European qualifiers sort of simultaneously across, across the channel so you can sort of flick between. And I flicked over for the last few minutes of it expecting to see there were a few goals down, as you would. Uh, and I saw nil-nil, so I was I was kind of transfixed with the last few minutes of that. And, and yes, as they finished, it was absolutely wonderful to see. Uh, it, it just kind of shows the different levels uh, that there are, that a mere nil-nil draw is only against Estonia. They're hardly a great team themselves. But Estonia, and obviously I've looked into this story more now, Estonia had come into that game off the back of winning away in Norway a couple of days before. Which is which isn't such a bad result at all. It's only only in a friendly, I think, but but still, that that puts them several layers above San Marino, whose last win, uh, in fact, they've only ever won once in their history, and that was against Liechtenstein, who <laughs> uh, were a very small nation as well. They'd, uh, they've had a couple of draws over the years, but nothing but defeat for year upon year in their latest stint, stuck at the bottom of the world rankings for goodness knows how long, seven or eight years, I think. Uh, with, with basically no hope of ever actually escaping other than, well, they, they did in the end but compare them to the likes of Montserrat uh, or American Samoa and, and these countries who play other small nations San Marino don't play other small nations in Europe you, you put in a group with the giant of the game perhaps Germany who, who beat them heavily at one point uh, perhaps Italy, perhaps Spain and then a few sort of middling nations, the likes of Estonia. But they don't get to play, other than the occasional friendly, they don't get to play Andorra, they don't get to play Luxembourg in a qualifying group. So usually they're just up against it completely, and it's an exercise in often trying not to lose too badly. It's being organized defensively. But they've progressed, uh, and they go into it in one of the chapters in the book, that they're the new coach who came in before this latest campaign has actually set them on a course of a slightly more progressive style of play, obviously with limitations. They, could, they, can't, they can't go gung-ho. They would just get uh, soundly picked off uh, and, uh, and a big defeat if they did. But within their own limitations, they're a bit more progressive and they've had various chances on goal. They actually just recently um, just narrowly lost 2-1, I think, in Lithuania, only to a last-minute winner from, from Lithuania, so they very nearly got another draw. Uh, and when they scored their goal in that, the the, uh, the whole bench was running onto the pitch, jumping over everybody. It was astonishing. It, so they, they are improving, but they're, they're always up against it. They're most likely going to be on another run of defeat of six or seven years uh, until perhaps the European Nations League comes along and they, they may actually get to play the likes of Andorra or Gibraltar. Now, uh, Aiden, when, when you talked about the the old uh, the experience with Montserrat and and the battle for you know who's who's going to be dubbed the worst in the world, you you brought up something in in my mind that's kind of interesting, and and you've touched on a little bit more here. You know, when when I look at the FIFA rankings right now, and I see Mongolia, Somalia, Andorra, Papua New Guinea, and and the Bahamas way down at these things, these are very very different places from one another. But is there almost a, a level of of camaraderie amongst these nations as as fellow minnows of world football? I know they're all aware of it. 
because uh, when I've been, <laughs> well, how could you not be, I suppose? But, but uh, when I've sort of done various stories on this thing and sort of tweeted links out, uh, I've had various things favorited by the Montserrat FA <laughs> and, and things like that. Uh, I know they, they're aware of it. Uh, that that would be the only time that Montserrat Bhutan of the final, as it was in 2002, where they've actually got together to, to really decide definitively who's worst. I mean, as you say, it's, it's impossible to compare Montserrat with uh, American Samoa, with San Marino. They're, they're never going to play each other. So, I mean, who, who is really worst? It, it's impossible to say. But that was one time where we actually could, uh, and that made it all the more sensational for us. Logistically, it's something that just can't happen very often, was it? I mean, that, that was something funded purely by a Dutch TV documentary crew. <laughs> uh, it was their idea. They, they paid everything. They got everybody together. It, it's not something that's uh, <laughs> it's really going to happen very often, sadly, because uh, it would be a wonderful thing if they did that every four years along with the World Cup. Uh, just get the worst two together and have a little playoff. Well, hey, let, let's um, see. Let's see what an author in in Newcastle and and a radio broadcaster in in Northern California. Let's see what we can accomplish. Let's see who we can get to uh, to back yeah, this exactly. thing. We, we'll get a nice <laughs> tournament together. We'll figure out a neutral site to do it. Aiden Williams is with us here on World Soccer Talk Radio, author of a new book entitled "Worst in the World: International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA Rankings." We'll continue this conversation on the other side of this break. Talk about some of the characters in this book. Talk about some of the places that really get uh, portrayed in this book from Aiden Williams. We're back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. 25 sacks of mail All along the southbound Odyssey The train pulls out at Kankakee And rolls along past houses, farms, and fields Passing trains that have no You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. But I'm now the president of everybody. Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Get at me on Twitter at NateWST and get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. This Sunday, Arsenal is taking on Tottenham in the North London Derby. Bragging rights on the line as always, but also... The Gunners are looking to go top of the table. Would you believe it? To make the game even more enjoyable, I would like to invite you to listen to a real fan broadcasting the game on Rabble.tv. In previous weeks, many of you have enjoyed listening to the full-time Devils and the Redmen TV providing their unique flavor to Man United and Liverpool matches. But now this weekend, Rabble is bringing you one of the most popular FIFA video gamers, Dirty Mike, a man who you heard right here on World Soccer Talk Radio yesterday. He is a pro FIFA player and a multiple national champion, and he's going to be calling the Arsenal Spurs match and interacting with listeners on Rabble. You know how Rabble works. All you got to do, tune into the North London Derby on TV, press the mute button, then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to Dirty Mike on your desktop through your iOS, Android app, or through your mobile browser. 
plus before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comment section. Interact with Dirty Mike. Be a part of this Rapple cast or create your own broadcast. Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. And again, join Dirty Mike this Sunday, 1045 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. of A. on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Join the revolution. Another huge thank you to Rabble.tv for their continued support of World Soccer Talk Radio. Aiden Williams still with us here in this edition of the show, author of Worst in the World, International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA Rankings. Picking up right where we left off, Aiden, I, I want to ask you about something we were actually discussing off the air for, for a couple of minutes, and that is the the personalities within this book, and, and specifically players. Uh, uh, it's so funny when I hear stories about players for, for countries like Montserrat or, or San Marino or, or guys who are suiting up for the Bahamas or Mongolia. These are not guys who are full-time professionals. They might be a doctor. They might be bagging groceries after the match. They, they might have second and third jobs. They're, they're family men. Talk about that a little bit and how unique that is uh, to, to these countries. It is. It, I mean, it's almost like you, you would imagine lower league players or, or semi-professional players in some of the bigger countries. It, it's a similar kind of level, if you like, that people just have ordinary jobs. They go training in the evening after work, uh, and sometimes they, they go away at the weekend and play international football. It's, <laughs> it's quite an incredible leap. I mean, you, you can think of some of the odd jobs that, that some of them do that, that somehow are appropriate. For example... San Marino's uh, long-term goalkeeper, a guy called Aldo Simoncini, he's an accountant, and that's perfect for someone who lets in the sheer quantity of goals that he does. <laughs> uh, you couldn't script it better. I mean, even he missed an international one time, a trip away to the Ukraine, I think, because he had to sit in his accountancy exams. And this is a, a situation that doesn't crop up <laughs> for your high-level international footballers at all. Um, another of the main guys who I focus on a lot in the book a guy called Nicky Salapu, who plays uh, in goal for American Samoa. He actually lives in the States. He, he lives in Seattle, and he works as a uh, telegraph uh, pole repair guy for AT&T. So that's his, that's his day job. But then every few years, he flies back to American Samoa and uh, usually faces opposition of far better quality and lets in a lot of goals. But uh, one, of the, one of the main themes actually running through the book is how he he moves from total humiliation with one of the worst defeats ever in, into redemption that he eventually achieves. But his, his story isn't unique. It's just he, he actually uh, rounds off the, the tale nicely in terms of disaster and redemption. But his, his story is someone who's an ordinary guy doing ordinary work and then doing something remarkable in his spare time, almost, is, uh, is very typical. Um, on, the, on the U.S. theme, there's a few other... American-based uh, players who, who played on that American Samoan team with with Nicky Salapu. There's there's a couple of U.S. soldiers who were of American Samoan descent uh, who who uh, took their entire annual leave for one year to go back to American Samoa and play in the World Cup tournament, World Cup qualifying tournament, I should say. Uh, there's a, there were a couple of other American citizens on that squad. The same with uh, Guam, another American territory. They've got various players from, from the U.S. and their squad. I mean, nowadays they have a couple of professionals. I believe there's one guy from L.A. Galaxy who's part of the, the Guam squad at the moment. So that shows that they've stepped up level from when they were one of the worst in the world. They've certainly improved. But there's still plenty of typical 
uh, bottom of the pile players, if you like, that this work ordinary jobs. There's teachers, there's salesmen, there's uh, there's bricklayers, there's all sorts who. It, it sounds like a typical non-league team here in England. It's just people playing for the love of it and training after work and then going off and playing a game at the weekend. But in their case, it's international. Now, Aiden, you talk about playing for, for, for the love of the game and you brought up American Samoa and I'm very glad that you did because I remember a match back in 2001 between Australia and American Samoa and the final score of that match was Australia 31, American Samoa nil. Playing for the love of the game, how do you love losing 31 nil? How do you come back? from something like that and say, oh, we, we've got another match. I'm going to suit up for my country after getting pummeled 31 nothing. I mean, how does that work psychologically for these players? Oh, I can't imagine it. I mean, even worse for them, it was, a, it was a group of four or five teams, so they had to come back and play a couple of days later. So there wasn't even any, uh, any slinking off to hide away. They, they had to come out and face it all again within a few days. Uh, it's... Oh, it's unthinkable how you would cope with such a humiliation, really. Uh, it made world news, of course. Uh, that, that story, I remember it at the time. It, it was big news and everybody laughed. Of course you laughed. It was, it was a funny thing, a team getting beaten that much. And if you think about it, it's a goal every three minutes or less than three minutes. But then you even think it takes time to restart after a goal, doesn't it? So, I mean, how much actual, how quickly... Did each goal go in once the whistle had gone again? It's, it's astonishing to think. And yet, even in that, the goalkeeper, who I was talking about just before, he, he made quite a few saves as well. So <laughs> just think how bad it could have been. Uh, so, yes, how they came back, goodness only knows. But he did come back, and, and it, it did work out for him, which is the most remarkable thing of all. It was a long, it was a long time later. He was much older, and he'd suffered for a great long time. And that that game haunted haunted him for years, the goalkeeper. But uh, he finally he finally got over it in the best way possible. But as for the the rest of them in that team, they, they didn't get that redemption as far as I as I know. I don't. I think he was the only one who was uh, in that humiliation who actually did end up winning with American Samoa. So the rest of them are probably still suffering. Well, I remember actually it was it was days prior to that 31-0 victory. Australia had actually beaten Tonga 22-0. So they, they put up 53 goals on Tonga and, and American Samoa over the course of uh, of less than a week. And, and that transitions into something that I want to talk to you about now. And it's related to, to what we're already discussing. And that is the managers of these teams. I mean, we, we've talked about the players. How do the managers cope with this? And and I look back to San Marino and those scenes that, I'm not joking, they almost brought a tear to my eye, how beautiful it was seeing them celebrate Absolutely. this nil-nil draw against Estonia like they'd, like they'd won the World Cup. How does a manager keep these players inspired and, and even just keep them interested after, after going through stuff like this repeatedly? And a lot of the time, it comes down to sort of rebuilding the players psychologically after yes. after this kind of thing. I mean, after all, they've got to go back to work the next day in many <laughs> cases and face all their all their work colleagues who've just witnessed them being uh, humiliated on on national TV or, or worldwide TV, as it as it generally is. I mean, it's it's completely different, of course, to a coach looking after a bigger team where the expectations are something else. It it must require a certain amount of, of psychology that 
that your average coach doesn't have to deal with. You've got to presumably cater for the right expectations. You, you've got to you've got to know in your heart of hearts, no matter what you say beforehand, that most likely you're going to you're going to get beaten. But you have to kind of accept that that's going to happen and and look for different positives from it. Like, did we? How long did we hold out for? Did we manage to hold out for 20 minutes, for half an hour, for a whole half? Things like that, or or simply restricting the score to being worse than it, uh, better than it was the last time you played the same opponents. Things like that. But the the way the coach as well as the players deal with the situation and then just have to keep coming back time and time again, going straight back to work the next day and coping with it all and getting back to normal life straight away. It was quite remarkable, really. Aiden, what were some of the other most enjoyable aspects of, of the creative process for you in, uh, in, in writing this book? Uh, it was quite a whirlwind, actually. Uh, the whole process probably took about four or five months to write, but during that time, I got to sort of delve deeply into some of these stories, and, and that was probably the, the greatest thing, uh, reading through all sorts of accounts of, of certain games and then highlighting certain characters that I wanted to look into more finding more information about their background story or or their thoughts on what it was like to represent their country or how painful certain situations had been for them or their hopes their hopes and dreams of what they might achieve for their country uh, the sacrifices they've had to make in order to be able to play for their country which in many cases is, is quite considerable uh, it, in delving deeper into these kind of stories it, it was just enjoyable, an enjoyable process to go through in, in terms of discovering more about some of the uh, remarkable people who play at this level. Uh, and the more I delved in, the more interesting I got, the more information I got. And it was just a case of piecing it all together, really, then, to come up with a, a nice narrative for, for each tale. Uh, but the overall theme that you get from each different case I looked into, it, it, was, it was kind of heartwarming, if you like. Uh, football at the top level is quite cynical, it, uh, it's getting more and more club-oriented as well, especially in Europe. The, the club game is, is getting bigger than the international game in many ways, other than at World Cup and European Championship time, of course. But the rest of the time, international football kind of takes a, uh, a back step, if you like. And to me, I've always been very interested in the international game, and, and this was a way of, of seeing how much it meant to people at, at different levels uh, in England, international football is obviously huge when there's a tournament on the rest of the time. It, it's as though it kind of gets in the way of the Premier League, if you like. The Premier League's going along nicely for a couple of months and then it all has to stop for a fortnight while, while England play a couple of games. So it, it was kind of heartwarming to see just how much it meant to these people at a much lower level, but the same pride in representing the country that anybody else has and the same hopes and dreams. Well, absolutely, Chris, uh, Aiden. Sorry, pardon me. And uh, it, when when we uh, when we opened up our conversation off the air, actually, we were talking about uh, about your beloved uh, uh, Newcastle, and you know, you're talking about how it can't get you know much worse than it already is. Well, I mean, Newcastle aren't getting beat 31 nil, right? Does it kind of put it all in perspective? <laughs> well, exactly. It's not that bad, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, la- last question, real quick. I, I know you are a, a diehard Newcastle supporter. What's it going to take for 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 the the, the Tidesiders to, to come up this year and get something going? Oh, dearie me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, well, I've got to say they've improved their style of play in the last few games, even though the results haven't really shown it. So I, you kind of think it just needs something to go their way a little bit. But 
but it definitely seems to be as soon as things start to go wrong, that they go spectacularly wrong, like they did a couple of weeks ago at Manchester City. As soon as they go behind, they just fall apart, and they need to toughen themselves up a little bit. I think uh, if they do, hopefully they'll pull clear. But it's not looking particularly good at the moment. I have to say. Well, hey, we'll, we'll all be pulling. We'll all be pulling for, uh, for for Newcastle for for you, Aiden. And uh, before we let you go, uh, let people know how they can get a hold of of this book that I am absolutely fascinated with: "Worst in the World: International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA Rankings." Yeah, it's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and & Noble and various other uh, booksellers. It's, it's available in paperback and digital format. Uh, I think in the U.S. it's about $14.99 uh, for the paperback and $10 for the Kindle. Uh, so, yeah, by all means, everybody, go ahead, get it. It's great. Get at it. I endorse it as <laughs> well. Aiden Williams, thank you so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, hey, best of luck supporting Newcastle the rest of this year. <laughs> we need every bit of luck we can get. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers to you, Aiden. We're back after this to close this baby down right here. World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. Factoid of the day here on World Soccer Talk Radio on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. During the Arsenal-Bayern Munich Champions League match, there are obviously 22 players as, as the game starts. There's an English team taking on a German team. Okay, you, you know these things. There were more Basque players on the pitch in that match then there were English players that's right three Basque players on the field at the start of that game and zero English players shout out to my boy from San Jose Colin Etnire for uh, sending me that on Twitter a little bit earlier absolutely love it Gora Yuskali come on you Basques I absolutely love it keep wrecking things whichever league you may be playing in whether you're back in La Liga with A-Bar or any of the other Basque sides that we talk so much about on this show or you are taking your exploits elsewhere. Do it up. I love it. Gora, Yuskali, come on. Huge thank you to Chris Schlosser, Vice President of MLS Digital and Aiden Williams, the author of Worst in the World International Football at the Bottom of the FIFA Rankings. Be sure to check out that book and check out everything that MLS Digital is doing during these MLS Cup playoffs. Thanks to the gaffer, Chris Harris, for organizing this thing. Thanks to the producer back in San Francisco, the great city by the bay. His name is Dom Jimenez. Got a real special treat for you tomorrow. Mr. Magisterial himself, Ray Hudson, will be with us right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Cannot wait for that. Signing off for everybody. My name is Nate Abarea. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye for now. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.